Hi, and welcome back. I'm Amir Sabirovic, and you're tuning in to the next episode of Challenging the Status Quo podcast. With our episodes, we hope to inspire you to take the necessary steps and follow your heart and passion in everything you do. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the yet another episode of Challenging the Status Quo. Before we start interviewing our next guest, first let us hear the past guest that was John Telemann, the CTO of TWTG, or easier, the way to go. Here is his take for you. Um, like, I hope that the key takeaway will be that people should not listen to these things too much. Like, use it as an inspiration, but also really don't guide your life on these things. And uh, like follow, do stupid things, you know. Like, like I hope you like I explained when we started this thing. We just were really naive and we believed in ourselves. So, what the hell are you doing here? You skip this episode, go back, listen to it, and then come to listen to our next guest. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another episode of Challenging the Status Quo. Today, our guest is an expert in future studies and founder of Heimdall Institute. His name is Klaus Kjelsen, and I'm looking forward to hearing his story. I hope you are too. Welcome, Klaus. Good morning, and thank you. Hey, uh, you probably heard a few of our podcasts, and we're quite anxious to hear your story. So please, can you tell us what your background is and how you got where you are right now? Of course, what are future studies? I would be I would be happy to share share, share my experience and, and and also my enthusiasm for for future studies. Um, by academic profession, uh, I am an economist, uh, and to share my story and um, my career plan, I think that it is quite normal for at least for a lot of people that uh, that I've met that there wasn't there wasn't really a plan. It's almost like uh, uh, most of the stories of the startups that I have met, that sometimes at least you have a plan or you have a direction. You go hunting in, in, in the forest and your ambition is to shoot a bear, but you end up coming home with a deer. So it's about being open for, for opportunities. Um, and, and my personal journey, I started out uh, uh, in a startup in the pharmaceutical industry and then I met some people that liked uh, uh, my capabilities as ended up being a, a CEO in a, in a, in a small uh, turnaround. And then I ended up in consulting. And none of this, none of this was really planned. And I have never in, in, in my entire life uh, applied uh, for a job. Um, my journey. And, and looking back, if I saw... If I saw some of these jobs that I have had advertised, then I probably would have thought, well, that sounds a bit boring or uh, I, I can't get that position. But when I was there, when I got the opportunity, when I was in the middle of it, everything that I have done has always been extremely interesting, extremely interesting. And that is maybe because I find almost all aspects uh, of life interesting, but it's also very few jobs, very few positions, very few industries aren't challenging when you're in them, when you understand the dynamics and, and, and things like that. So that has been my way of uh, approaching uh, my career. Of course, I would say opportunity dance with those who are on the dance floor. You have to be out there. You have to be open for business, for ideas. You have 
as a person to reach out to the people you meet along that journey to, to be there. So it, it, it's not that I say just lean back, uh, a coincidence will give you a great career. Of course, you, um, you have to dance, you have to, you have to, to take part. So uh, how did I end up in future studies? At that time in, 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 in my career, I was a uh, consultant uh, working with a bunch of smart people that I knew, some of them from university, some from business. And we were kind, uh, we were kind of doing uh, our own little network of former consultants that had been in, in more established place. I guess I was the odd one, uh, the odd one uh, in that company because I had been a, a uh, I had been working with startups and and being a CEO of uh, of turnarounds. But the others co- came from more uh, established consulting uh, companies, so they had uh, uh, some nice contacts that we could uh, rely upon in doing strate- uh, traditionally strategy um, consulting. And by coincidence, a friend today, a close friend that I have had for 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 more than fifteen years. He became the interim uh, manager or CEO of the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies. And they were at the time struggling a little bit um, financially and and there were some issues. And that was why he was given that interim task. And he knew that I had done turnarounds uh, uh, before. And he said, Klaus, I know you have experience. Could you help me? Could you have a look at this? So I came there as... Uh, a consultant trying to um, trying to turn around the company that was basically like what consultants do in such a, a, a situation analyzing the things reducing headcounts etc etc so it was kind of a basic task what I have never I had never heard of future studies at um, at that point uh, so I, and, and initially, uh, uh, that wasn't what we were looking at. We were looking at, at, at the burn rate and, and, and the costs and stuff like that. But as I worked as a strategy consultant at that time, I was very much involved in taking strategic decisions every day. When I came to the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, I saw these smart people with a multidisciplinary background understanding the future in different areas. And I understood if we have people using uh, their entire careers on understanding the future and some of future studies can actually be relied quite heavily upon, why aren't we using that in strategy consulting? So that was the eye opener that came um, that came by accident when I entered um when I entered that uh, industry or what, when, when I got familiar with it. And that was uh, uh, also the motivation for me hanging around, ultimately becoming uh, the CEO of the uh, Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies uh, for six years. And then one year ago, I launched um, the Heimdall Institute, which is also a consultant company uh, doing multidisciplinary um, future studies. So that was that was the wake-up call and, and, and my journey into my, uh, my current position. And can you say that actually you're consulting and experience in a broad specter of companies and startups and grown-ups and uh, enterprises gave you an insight that this was needed? Definitely. These two future studies is still a very, very 
small niche. Um, not many, because we have an idea that nobody can predict the future. And that is true. Uh, uh, roughly speaking, you can say that one part of the future can be pretty good predicted. This is really the area of megatrends. But if you only have the megatrends, if you don't have a framework where you combine all the uncertainty, because a lot of a lot of uh, uh, things about the future is uncertainty, and then you have to build scenarios, and then you have to be strategically ready for being successful in more than one scenario and be uh, uh, really successful in, 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 in the more positive scenarios and try to navigate the future. And I, I, as I mentioned before, everyday strategic decisions are taken by very, very smart people, but they do not rely upon the knowledge that we possess about the future already today. And that means all these decisions could be better if they were better at taking in and using those framework. And you could say in a slow moving world, then companies could catch up with the future. And that is what is known as the tra traditional strategy approach that you, you analyze the market. You look at the customers, you look at your uh, competitors, you analyze a strategic position, you implement a strategy that would enable you to reach that position. If you are good at implementing it, uh, you will finally reach it. But any implementation, if it's not eaten by culture or, or, or uh, other things, takes time. So when you reach that position, let's say in a couple of years, then today the world is moving so fast that the customers are probably no longer in the exact same position and your competitors have moved. So in that way, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant tool to, um, to help you uh, having two hands on the wheel navigate in an uncertain um, environment. And part of the um, value in future studies is also just to be aware of that the market is not static. Beware of the fact that you have to change as a company constant or as any organization and you have to know what to look for because the tricky thing is that future studies is like looking in the mirror from day to day there is no change if if, if i look at myself this morning and i compare with what i saw in the mirror uh, uh, the other morning i would say klaus you are not aging if i look at uh, <laughs> If I look at the uh, uh, pictures from, from, from high school, then I'm aging quite dramatically. And it's the same thing. If you don't know what to look for, then you cannot see the change. And that's why companies and organizations suddenly or slowly become irrelevant. And then they use the old tools. And also, if you don't know what to look for and you don't have a strategic answer, then even if you see dark clouds in the horizon, strategically, then you hope that they are wearing off. So parts of future studies is to create alternative scenarios in your market, stress test your current strategy and see if I'm not, if my current strategy is not successful in that market, how could I change? Because if you know what to look for and you actually have an answer, a strategic answer. Then when you see the world, you see the signs of the world going in that direction, then you are much more likely to implement that answer. Otherwise, we hope that bad news is wearing off and we try uh, uh, the usual uh, quick fixes. Very often when clients 
approach uh, companies and, and, and working with future studies. The reason is that they say something is going on that we can't understand. Normally, when our clients uh, stopped buying our product, then we increased marketing spending or we updated the, the product. We made a, a, a new version, the 2020 model. Klaus, we have done all these things and they are still not coming. What are we missing? But they didn't ask the customer. No, yeah, sometimes they even ask the customers because, yeah, you could say sometimes the customers know the answer, but the, the tricky thing is, isn't always with, with, with the customers. I would say Nokia, uh, nobody knew that they needed, nobody knew that they needed the smartphone uh, until everybody loved the, the Nokia. Nobody, so uh, Nokia did a lot of focus groups and, and, and people said, oh, we want to change the cover or we wanted a, a, a clamshell uh, phone. Nobody could imagine that idea. But if you looked at the time, if you looked at the fact that we were increasingly using um, the internet, if you looked at the fact that that uh, the level of creativity that the apps platform was an open platform where all app developers could deliver uh, creative solutions. So if you looked at different mega trends, you looked at we were increasingly living on the goal and people were accessing the internet from, from uh, uh, laptops and desktops. And if you could put that in, to an open platform, then you would have a very competing product. So sometimes asking the clients is part of the solution, but otherwise it's 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 other megatrends. And then also what could have helped Nokia in such a situation was that they probably were a little bit arrogant because they were so extremely uh, uh, successful in they were owning that industry. They were the largest uh, manufacturer. But but yes, what what I want to say is that when people turn to future studies without being aware of it, when, when, when sometimes unaided response, you know, clients uh, have been calling me, then it's very likely that they have tried all the traditional tricks in the book. And if you implement, if you implement uh, 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 being a future savvy uh, uh, company, if you implement a, a, an approach, then you would be, get a, a much longer uh, response time and you will be much more able to see things in the horizon before they actually mature. And that, ultimately will create you uh, or may enable you to be a more successful navigator in your, in your market. But this is an interesting thing because when you look at enterprises and companies at this point, they only view the world from their perspective. So we have done this always and we are going to do it. So these are our products and we're actually not interested what the market is doing or where things are moving. We're going to offer this and this is our three-year strategy. And if you ask them, uh, okay, but what is your long-term strategy? Like, what are you going to do in 10 years? They're like, yeah, 10 years, come on. Um, we don't know. That is too far off. Um, so uh, this is an interesting thing because they're actually not looking um, at the strategy from the point of perspective that maybe their business won't exist. True. True, uh, and everybody has to, to do that because I would say at the current rate of pace of change, which has never been faster, and, and, and ironically, it will never be as slow as today because uh, tomorrow it will be even faster. Yeah. Um, you have to have, and sometimes even quite uh, radical uh, plans, and any company, any company can't be sure of success in 10 years 
in, in, in no, the current environment. But you can you can mm-hmm. put a dot on a horizon and say this is where we're moving to. There is no certainty and there is no nope. nothing pouring in concrete. No, no, and and, and 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 this is actually the ultimate argument for having implemented a horizon scanner, a radar, a strategic radar radar based on future studies. Because I would say even the most valuable company right now, which is uh, which is Apple, if you look at how slow they were to kill their darling, the iTunes platform, because it was so profitable. People loved iTunes, and then Spotify and the streaming services came. Now, if you look at how slow they were to follow uh, Netflix in, in, in entertainment streaming, then... Of course, uh, right now they are still making a lot of money in, 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 in selling smartphones, but, but twice a company like Apple that had an image of inventing their own categories, inventing the iPod, inventing yeah. the iPad, etc. Then they have been, I wouldn't call them fast followers. I would say that they, they joined those two markets. They joined those two markets just before the door was shut um, because they were so in love with with uh, and comfortable with the old platform that they originally invented the the uh, the iTunes uh, platform for coincidence and that means if you ask could could the pattern um, of apple suddenly dying in its own success because they feel so secure that, that, that they own those platforms. I think it, it, it's likely they could also be, be, be more successful, but we have seen like the average lifespan of a, a Fortune 500 company has decreased from, from 16 to, to less than 15 years. So you can, you can die faster. This is an interesting point. So um, uh, let's, uh, let's discuss uh, Apple for a bit and then we can move on with, uh, with other questions. But um when you look at Steve Jobs, I believe I believe he was visionary in creating new products, um, like like products that um, that didn't exist. Now I have a feeling they're just upgrading tech, putting more in, and they're like all other companies. Um, don't you think or no? What is your opinion on the leverage that he had on the culture of innovation within in the company? I would. I would say, and, and, and this is actually, uh, I, th- I think uh, a lot of great books have been written about Steve Jobs, and I think he was, uh, uh, and that is also uh, the general opinion, that he, he wasn't an easy boss. Um, but because of him being so demanding, um, he was so successful, you know, he wouldn't accept a compromise. And I think from a, a future studies perspective, of course, it was him being so persistent in demanding the solutions that he was looking for and seeing the market space. And that, for me, at least as a future studies uh, uh, professional, I think what he was good at was understanding the customer's need. Where would an iPad be a super smart, easy to use uh, tool where in the everyday life in the household when you are there in the living room in the kitchen looking for a recipe streaming content reading things and why so one thing is that he understands the user situation the second thing which is probably the most overlooked thing still in many companies is that convenience will always win convenience 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 me personally, 
I'm an Android user, and I think almost all functionality that has been implemented in the iPhone has been at the Android platform before. So Apple is never first, but the user interface is just so much or so more much more convenient they are expert and steve jobs demanded there can't be buttons or this or we can only have one button it has to be so simple and so intuitive so he invented like a product like the ipad which babies can use intuitively from 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 two years of age and old men that were never familiar with technology and couldn't use it suddenly an, an entire digital world um was uh, revealed in front of them. And, and that basically, if, if we go back to the Nokia discussion, Nokia was the leading company. They had 15,000 brilliant engineers developing the closed Nokia platform. Everybody was playing Snake on the Nokia. Then Apple launched the apps interface. And after six months, half a million people were developing apps. So you had much more creativity. And that is one of the, the, the rules of thumb, open beats closed uh, when you're talking pace of innovation. The fact that, and then it's relying uh, not only on the convenience megatrend, but also on the individualization or personalization that we like to tailor make products. We like to keep them simple and convenient, but we like to design them exactly for our needs. And and, and depending on what your hobbies is, whether you want running apps or I, I like go duck hunting in the duck hunting season, and I actually have an, a, an app that can imitate uh, ducks, um, and that would never be a standard feature on, on, on a closed system where everybody has to play snake. So from a megatrend perspective, it's, or, or from a future studies, it's about understanding what is driving the market, understanding the user situation, then it's about convenience and it's about individualization. And, and I am also involved with, with megatrend driven in, in investing. And we always say never invest, never invest against a megatrend. And, 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 and maybe Nokia kind of invested against the individualization megatrend due to the fact that the only thing you could individualize was the, the, the type of handset and maybe the color and the cover, but, but we had to have the same operating interface. <laughs> um, and, and then it was also yeah. open versus closed in, 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 in the innovation and, and thereby enabling, basically you could say that this is what makes Apple a platform company and not a traditional 20th century hierarchy because much of the innovation is done by uh, third parties, the app developers that then use the app store as a platform and, and, and Apple gets a, a cut. They facilitate the users yeah. so they have a huge customer base and actually they have become a reseller of cool applications. Yeah. And they don't and they're earning and they don't have to innovate. When 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 one when one uh, provider is taken out by another, it's still on the same app. It's still on the same platform. It's still on the, in, it's, it's still an app store application. So even though one music app yeah. takes over from another or, 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 or whatever, and, 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 and this, is, this is also the interesting thing, because when we look, 70% of the, um, of the most valuable uh, uh, companies are in, in, the fort, uh, in the stock market are, are platform economies, and, and 70% of the unicorns are platform uh, companies, digital platforms, or, or, or not only digital. Like, you, I, I would argue that Amazon is uh, only a digital player. They are very, very physical as well. But <clears throat> yeah, the problem is that 
98% of companies in general are not platforms. That means that we can all go to Silicon Valley and we can learn and we can read about Steve Jobs. But when you are not a, a platform business, then it's very hard to implement some of the learnings because you are you are what is known as a 20th century century hierarchy. So <laughs> you you, uh, you you have to change in a different way, and and you move slower, uh, and you are more dependent on 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 uh, on hitting the target because. Uh, if one music app dies, you will not be part of the next one because you you, you don't own the platform. You are, you are you are not Expedia. You are not you are not Netflix. You are not Apple. Hey, and and moving from successes of big companies that we named to cloud successes. So everybody has a different opinion and perspective on what success him, uh, success is to him or her. Uh, can you define how success looks like to you? Well. I think what is what 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 I love what I love about my job is the fact and that 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 is basically kind of a trademark of of being a a, a consultant um that is being able to provide people with valuable information that helps them take better decision and meaning that when when we do a project uh, in strategic future studies, it's always a process. And as a futurist, I bring in all the information regarding the world that surrounds that organization. But inside the core of the organization, they are in their own comfort zone because they know their industry. They know the technology that they are relying upon. And there they are experts. And when you are working with strategy, you very often work with um, people responsible for the long-term strategic decision. That means the top management and, and, and the team around them and sometimes the board. That means I get to meet extremely smart people because if you are in a top management of a, of a, of a company, then you're smart. Uh, very often, at least. There are, but, but I believe, I, I, I believe, yeah, some... Someone, uh, someone had a, had a former boss that we, we we would say he wasn't that smart. But uh, no, in general, I am actually surprised how many brilliant people uh, you meet around in companies, uh, and 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 to be in the top of 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 world leading companies that I have been so privileged to work with, I would say in general, really really inspiring. And that is basically success to me. That is to work with smart people because even though I'm the consultant and I'm sending an invoice, I would claim that I am learning just as much as they are because you get the insights of these great companies and, and you understand and you can ask all the stupid questions and you can challenge them and say, okay, imagine this happens. What if that situation occurred? What if we couldn't use our current primary distribution channel? How would we approach it? What is our options? Who should we team up with? How should we change? And by answering all those questions, I'm also receiving a lot of insights. Uh, and then when you try to work across industries, which, which, which I have done as well, then you start to see patterns that you wouldn't be aware of. Suddenly you see physical retailers facing the exact same uh, um, strategic challenges as uh, uh, financial uh, institutions, even though they are in, 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 two, in two quite different industries. And, and I have actually had the success of taking uh, uh, some of the largest um, 
operators in 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 physical retails and having them meet with 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 a very huge uh, financial company and uh, on a on a on a management level and 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 facilitating a a workshop where they shared uh, challenges and experiences and it was it was extremely rewarding and that is from a, a professional and academic perspective uh, success to me that is knowing that what you do makes people take better decision thereby building better organizations and ultimately um, solving solving whatever challenge is ahead of them and 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 and, and that can be in public company or it can be uh, public owned companies uh, not listed companies but 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 like in the healthcare industry and it can be uh, in 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 the private sectors in um, yeah all over the world that's great and um what would you wish you knew at the start of your career? Oh, that's a very, that's a very good question. That's a very good question, I would say. Um, of course, I think um, I, I would have to rely, I would have to rely um, on my opening statement because I think you get, you get smarter and smarter uh, and, and, and we all wish that we could run 10 Ks at the same time as we could when we were 27. But when, when it comes to experience, um, it's, 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 it's really a blessing to get older uh, because you, 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 you become less and less uh, uh, black and white uh, and you, you, you start to understand that everything is gray. Um, I don't know if there was anything that I wanted to know because I think it's part of the journey. You are learning all along the way and I think it's hard. A lot of lessons has to be learned. Even though people have told me uh, I have gotten a lot of great advice during my career, most of it I first really appreciated and understood when I also had the same experience. So in one way you could say you have to experience it anyway um what i what i think or 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 an advice is that that i can share is that i think almost any industry any job is challenging and rewarding so don't necessarily run to the investment banking or uh, the top position in the most high hyped industries right now Understand that there's really, really rewarding challenges across industries. And then I would also say um, I have had the experience of working with in a, in a multidisciplinary um, setting. And education matters, but basically it's an exercise. You could say, uh, which is of course not the scientific truth, but the brain is a muscle and as long as it gets exercise, then whatever whatever educational background you have is your ticket to play but it's not the end of the world so if people are having problems getting in on the right education well it doesn't matter you can pretty much of course on 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 if you started out being an economist and you want to do brain surgery you will never succeed but if you are in 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 if you are in in business then you can have a technical background, you can have a financial background, but you can also have uh, uh, any other holistic backgrounds. I have seen so much great talent uh, uh, across educational backgrounds, so it all matters about what drives you. And then 
learn and be open-minded. Me as an economist with a kind of a strategy consultant, one of the areas that I'm most impressed by and that I think is most overlooked is social science and behavioral science. Of course, including behavioral economics. But when I was when I was uh, uh, in my early 20s studying at the university, uh, I was more of a classic economist uh, that thought that everything was financial and could be uh, broken down into a balance sheet. And what is really driving business and what is really driving uh, uh, Apple, as we, we talked about earlier, is not the engineering. Uh, it's basically the under the understanding of the consumer and that amazing user interface that the uh, iOS system is. Uh, that is so convenient uh, that people are hooked. It's like a drug that if you're on the iPhone, then it's so hard to quit and it's so hard to change. Hey, and and what do you do to challenge the status quo on personal level? Yes, and it is a good question. And, and the answer is probably not enough because what happens to um, what happens to people happens to corporations that they get fat and happy. They... Uh, they, they think they understand, they think they know their market, they think they have the right solution, and they think now that they have the power. So luckily, I'm in a position where I am constantly challenged about applying my knowledge, which is the knowledge of, of megatrends and future studies, to new and different areas. And that is challenging. So when I'm at a conference giving a keynote speak, speech uh, in a certain industry. Most of the other guys speaking in that conference are industry experts. They know that industry. For, but for me, it can be the first time. So I am forced to putting my understanding of megatrends, putting my understanding of the change that is going around in society into the concept uh, or context of that specific industry. And it's always the last mile. So how are any strategic position, any industry affected by multiple paths of change, multiple trends. And it's the last mile that is the exciting thing because uh, on, on a megatrend level, everybody can understand it, but how do you break it down? So, so luckily, I am forced to, uh, uh, to do that. Otherwise, I would probably, and, and, and I still am in some ways, I would probably uh, get a little bit... Um, too comfy in relying on the knowledge and the concept because now we have just established that the world is in that way and the market uh, works in that way. And if we do our game this way, then we will be successfully. And the fact is that nothing is stable. Nothing is stable. Uh, so, so we have constantly to be aware. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's hey, speaking sp speaking of stability I'm of course very curious about your biggest failure or your biggest learning moment yeah that is also um, that is also a very good a very good question that give me give me give, give me just a few seconds to to um, I would probably say um, the acceptance of the fact that uh, nobody is perfect. The fact that we all have flaws and how to interact as a team, how to how to cope uh, with uh, 
how to cope with diversity. Um, and I think this is something when when we are looking at the organizations, then what I established earlier, the the, um, the traditional hierarchy where we were all on the same team. What we are moving now is from, from, from value chains and hierarchies into more dynamic value networks. And that means that every part of the value creation, you more or less have to be uh, uh, world-class. And that cannot, uh, that cannot, or at least it's very hard to have that capabilities inside one organization. So in these networks, we have to uh, collaborate much more. And how can you build organizations that are able to collaborate with across cultures. That means corporate culture, but also uh, culture in, in, in general. And having worked with many different companies and, and, and um, then, then what is my, my, my biggest learning is probably how big a difference value and morale and culture interferes with the more rational assumptions um, in life. And that is on an individual scale, but it's also on a global scale. When, when the Western countries thought that if they could get away uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, then that they would become a liberal democracy. Um, that is because we assume that they have the same values and that they have the, the same uh, perspectives and, 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 and they don't. And, and, and what is going on right now on, on, on the global scale is also because we, we, we basically have, a, a, we are more different and, 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 and we are seeing that uh, right now in so, many, um, in so many aspects. Hey, and, and what inspires you, Klaus? Oh, everything. <laughs> I'm an information. I am an information junkie. Um, so what inspires me is, the club. is the, yeah, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's the 21st, it's the 21st century. I am on, I am on Twitter. I, I follow uh, professionally. I, I, right now I have, I'm subscribing to the New York Times. It's an amazing newspaper. I'm reading The Economist. I'm following a lot of individuals on Twitter uh, uh, and I'm following podcasts and TED talks and, and, and everything. <laughs> so, and, and, and I, I, I had a, a, after leaving, after leaving my position as the CEO of the, of, of, of SIFS, uh, I had six months of uh, garden leave and people would say, wow, Klaus, you're, uh, then you got in great shape or what did you do? And even though I, I didn't have any, any, any projects going on because I, I wasn't allowed to work, what I did was that I was, eating information every morning. So, so during that phase where I also analyzed uh, uh, what should my next move be, then I said, well, if you, if, if, if you can't stop consuming uh, uh, information and, and, and seeing patterns and applying it to different industries and sectors, you might as well get paid for it. <laughs> that, was a, that was a point of my time where I could have said, now I want to open a restaurant or do a career change. But even though uh, uh, that I wasn't using it professional in that uh, in that period. I I I couldn't help doing it. Um, so so I'm thankful for living. I'm thankful for living in a time where brilliant, brilliant work, brilliant concepts and ideas are so easily brilliant knowledge are so easily accessible. Because I went to university in the um, in the 90s, and at that time. 
when you were writing uh, a paper, you still had to rely on the library. Uh, there, uh, uh, there were some CD-ROMs, and then there was a catalog, and then you could access academic uh, uh, articles on the CD-ROM, but the internet was uh, uh, not... Yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't really uh, uh, that... that, that that rich with information. So, so having lived here, um, I, I probably appreciate the, uh, the the level of information that is available. It's it, it's also a pitfall sometimes because you you can't spend your entire life on consuming information. You know, it's it's doubling every two years. Exactly. Selective. Hey, and and what are you what are you curious about right now? Um, I am a lot of things. Um, on the, on the global scale, I'm quite uh, curious about uh, the current geopolitical situation. The fact that the West uh, has had, some would claim after the Second World War, either would, others would say at least after uh, uh, 1989, uh, the Iron Curtain, that the West have had, we have had a stable period and we have had a period where the where at least we in the west thought that our values and our way of organizing society would ultimately uh, be rolled out globally and i think that is not you know the the francis fukuyama end of history he wrote after uh, uh, the soviet union fell down and i think what is changing now is that we are 400 or 500 million in Europe, 300 million in North America, but globally we are 7.8 million. So, so the traditional Western countries, then you could of course take Singapore, Japan and, and Australia, but, but soon China, soon China will be uh, uh, the largest economy. Uh, and also they have different values and we have to accept that. And we also thought like that Turkey was growing in a direction, uh, uh, part of the EU and that they, they were more or less a, a Western democracy. They are some other kind of democracy. Same thing when we opened the McDonald's on, on, on the Red Square, we thought, well, Russia will become like, like, like West Germany. Um, that is clearly not the case. And now you have a change in the military power. So, so U.S. have no striking power in Asia. China has now supersonic missiles that can take out the striking power of U.S. So we are returning to a society where... It's not that free market, level playing field, um, human rights, democracy. It's more of a power game. And I think that will affect globalization because we could have a more divided, we could, we could have a more divided globalization uh, looking forward. And, and, and that could impact uh, uh, global economic growth and, 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 and stuff like that. And, and, and even, even small companies. So, so the, the, the digitalization, which we thought were global that, you, global, that you could take an Uber in every country, uh, well, it might, it might not be the case. And how will this interplay? And, 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 and we also have, uh, and, and that's, of course, you said I'm playing it out, so I will try to end this shortly. But, but we also have issues in Europe and in North America uh, that at least are different from what we expected 10 or, 10 or 20 years ago. So, so that that is what is uh, that is what's uh, catching my attention right now. So, so I would I would uh, like from my analysis of what you just said is that geopolitics is actually 
sailing on the assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. So they should actually dive into future studies instead. Uh, yes, uh, and and I wouldn't say we have to expect uh, or accept that 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 uh, that all values are, are not shared, and then we have to uh, uh, at least uh, uh, let's agree to disagree, but let's not end in a conflict. Yeah. And, and 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 from a technology perspective, because people people think that future studies is all about technology, and people say I love the future, then sometimes they love technology. Um, but <laughs> of course, technology is also on on on, on my radar. And there, I'm, I'm much more positive. I think that we will ultimately solve climate change, um, and we will not solve it by um, by stopping the economic growth. We will solve it by innovation. So I'm, I'm, and and I think from from a technology perspective, we have great uh, uh, great times ahead. We we are we are currently seeing some challenges on on, on how we implement it, so it is not creating inequality. And 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 but 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 ultimately, I think we have the uh, the means to solve that challenge too. Hey, and and if you would combine all this knowledge from your previous years, startups, technology firms, etc., what would be your key takeaway for the audience? So, what should they take away from your knowledge and say, okay, to tomorrow, I'm going to focus on this because this is very important. Yes. Then, if I should sum that down in one answer, then it is future studies, because the thing is, that you can't say. Focus only on people. Ultimately, people is very, very important and probably the most important thing. But you have to overlay technology, regulation, politics, and people. And that's why there is no simple answer. But this is the simplest answer, or at least the best answer to that question, is exactly what Future Studies is doing. It's the 360 approach. Because even the best understanding of your End consumer cannot uh, um, cannot be enough if you don't understand how technology will change the market, or suddenly your competitor is not one of your established one that you are currently uh, uh, competing with, but he's outside your industry because he is coming with a substitute of your product and and and, and stuff like that. So, so I would say that it, it is it is what I'm doing now, and 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 that is probably why I'm biased. But it is future studies. It's such a great tool, and I recommend everybody to to invest a little bit more time. I will promise them that it will pay off. Okay, and where can they find materials about this? I think the internet is full of great articles, and the concept of mega trends is generally. Um, there's a the global consensus of what is changing because we are not guessing when we're talking megatrends. It is paths of change that is already going on, but they will continue for the next 10, 15, some of them or most of them even longer. The tricky thing is that future studies is positional. That would say that change is not good, neither is it bad. Everything depends on your strategic position. So that that is the... Um, that is the challenge. Uh, so depending on your industry, there are already some good information from um, different institutions covering every sector and, 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 and stuff like that. So, so, so it's, 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 it's a majority of cases. And it, it's also an approach. And there are also great, um, great courses. And of course, if they cannot figure oh, them yeah, they out, should call me. then they can reach out. <laughs> exactly, they exactly. So that is the reason. They, go to, yeah. the, and they should want... go to the website of the Heimdall Institute. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Klaus, it was really a pleasure. 
Thank you very much for your time and elaboration of future studies. I'm wiser, so I'm going to deep dive uh, deeper into future studies and uh, until we meet in Amsterdam. Thank you. Clancy was all mine. Thank you very much for listening. This was an episode with Klaus Kjeldsen, the CEO of Heimdall Institute. Please join me next week when I will interview Jeroen Jonkers from Mr. Jonkers, a user experience and user interaction designer who traveled the world to find out how this works in other cultures. Here is a short recap of our conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the, 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 the process that we go through is sort of getting at ease with yourself from this insecure puberty where everybody is looking at you and you need to towards this sort of realization that it actually doesn't really matter except for what you want yourself and if that is and if that's what and if the thing that you want has actual substance that that's a, that's a, that's a powerful force to, to go with yeah Are you curious about the rest of the story? Join us next week and you can hear everything Jeroen has to say. For now, this was Challenging the Status Quo podcast with your host, Amir Sabirovic. I wish you all an awesome week.